This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, April 30th, 2017. Restored Faith. So, our focus this morning is on faith. Restored faith as we bring this, uh, it's been a kind of lengthy uh, a series since the beginning of Lent, this series on broken and restored to a close this morning. Good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who've been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? Mighty God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that we have freedom, that we can come and worship publicly. Lord, you are so good to us. You're a good, good father. And um, right now, my prayer would be that everyone here would kind of settle in. Their spirits would be open to your word found in scripture and to the words that you've given us so that each one of us can be strengthened and leave a little bit uh, differently than when we came in this morning. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. And so on Easter, our focus on uh, 24th chapter of the book of Luke, where several women visited the empty grave, and, and then they shared that information with the rest of the disciples. Last week, Laurie continued looking at Luke 24. As, uh, as Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus, found a couple of his followers along that road and helped them to, in fact, realize the risen Christ. Today, we're going to consider um, uh, the Easter story from the book of John, one of Jesus' followers. He, he wrote the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the New Testament, we're going to consider his version of the Easter story. So in John's account, when Mary Magdalene sees the empty tomb, she runs back and she tells Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, scholars believe that the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, was John, which is kind of comical since it's the same John who's writing this scripture. <laughs> so we're going to go along with the scholars today and assume that the other disciple is John. And so as, as we read through it, it's kind of comical when you realize the guy, he's, he's doing one of them third-person things, you know? He's, he's talking about himself in the third person, as he says, so Peter and the other disciple, me, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, me, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Yeah. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. <laughs> he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. <laughs> These guys' heads must have been spinning. I mean, on Thursday night, they had had their last meal with Jesus, and since that time, 
Oh my goodness, they saw their Lord beaten, hung on a cross, buried. They think it's over, end of story, finished, done. They seem to have forgotten what Jesus had been talking about to prepare them. You know, Jesus told them what was going to happen. Um, and we read about this in other places in the Bible. We want to refer you right now to Matthew chapter 16, several chapters before Matthew's Palm Sunday story. So check this out. Yeah. So long before what we're talking about specifically today, here's what we read. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, say the rest with me, and on the third day be raised to life. Don't you love that? Instead of raised from that, raised to life. I love the way they say that. Well, how do you do? Man, you are really putting on some... Uh, some I wish it was because I was going to the gym, but it's not. All right. Do you want that raised up? Why don't we do that? <laughs> you leave the room, Barry, and I fall apart. There you go. Yeah, turn the camera off. <laughs> yeah, it's recording. That's good. Right. Anyway. Yeah, on the website. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> I was getting ready to say that it's one thing if you hear something, but it's another thing to see it. Sometimes when things are so far beyond the everyday, it's like really seeing becomes believing. So here we have these disciples. They were so focused on perhaps their own personal fear and survival. Remember, they were afraid for their very lives because after Jesus was, was killed, they were Jesus' followers, and so they were afraid for their lives as well. And so Jesus' words about what was going to happen might have just gotten lost in the shuffle. When John looked in the empty tomb, we're told, this is good news, he saw and believed. But they did not understand from the scripture what Jesus had said. They believed even though it wasn't fully making sense. And so what did they do? They, they did what they knew, what sound, seemed familiar. They went back to the place where they were all staying. I don't know. I, I get this. I, I get it. I believe, but I do not understand everything. I mean, my mind, it doesn't compute, but I believe. And so here are these guys. They believe even though they don't get it either. So here's the thing. Don't let a lack of understanding or being able to connect the dots cause you to not believe. We can believe without fully understanding. We don't have the mind of God. We can never fully understand. And so here's a great example in Scripture that that teaches us about that. Hmm. And so Mary went to the tomb. She ran and got to tell the disciples, Peter and... uh, and uh, the one Jesus loved, John, come back to the tomb. Then they go back to where they're staying. So now we have Mary comes back to the tomb. That was a busy morning, wasn't it? That was a very busy morning. So she comes back to the tomb, and she sees two angels, and they ask her why she is crying. You see, the thing is, Mary didn't quite get it either. 
She's crying because she thinks that her, with the empty tomb, that he's been stolen, that the body's been, you know, stolen from the tomb. She's, she's not crying because she's thinking he resurrected. No, it's, she's not quite grasping what uh, Jesus had been preparing them for before his death. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, and I can almost hear when I picture this whole scene, like some desperation, some panic in her voice, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? I mean, Mary knew Jesus. She was one of his closest followers other than the 12 disciples. And and here he is right in front of her face, and she doesn't recognize him. Maybe, Maybe her tears blurred her vision. I don't know. Um, but then she hears his voice. She knew his voice. She'd heard it before. I mean, he had exercised uh, several demons out of her. Uh, she, she knew his voice, and now she doesn't recognize that either. Maybe she's just too distraught. Uh, you know, when you're really upset, sometimes things aren't connecting. Or, or maybe, she's, maybe she, her brain is, he's dead and gone, so her brain's thinking the way he's here, so her brain is thinking it's got to be somebody else. It's not connecting. The one I think I connect most with is maybe the resurrected body and voice are different from one the ones she's familiar with. In other words, maybe we get a new body and voice when we resurrect. That's my plan. My plan is a new body, and Barry, I'm getting a singing voice next time. It's a singing voice, and you're getting dancing shoes. I know. Okay. You know, maybe, maybe the resurrected um, person looks different. Maybe it's a different, maybe it just looks, maybe uh, we look and sound different in the resurrection. Who knows? It doesn't tell us. Whatever reason, she is encountering the resurrected Jesus and she does not realize it. She thinks it's the gardener and she believes that the body had been taken away and she was there to care for Jesus's body and she's like please tell me tell me where it is and then what does he do he calls her by name Mary Mary and Jesus makes himself known to her isn't it funny what happens when we get called by name it's that personal touch our kids when they were little it was so funny you know we we'd be in a crowd of people and we find out later why they did that, why it turned out like this, because they would say five or six times, Mom, 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 and or Dad, Dad, and we wouldn't, and as soon as they said, Carrie, boom, instantly you heard them. You ever have that with your kids? Or they call me, Alan, what? First of all, what do you call me? <laughs> well, because I said Dad eight times and you didn't respond. We respond to our name, don't we? There's a, a connection there. There's a... It, 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 yeah, it's a relationship. Um, and so Jesus calls her by her name, Mary. And she, poo, and she recognizes his voice, recognizes his face. You know, Jesus knows your name. 
my name. Calls them. Calls them a lot. Calls our names. Uh, constantly calling, reaching out. Wanting that personal relationship. Wanting to be in touch. Desiring for each of us to recognize his voice and respond. And to realize, <laughs> hello, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And that he died to save us. He's the Savior. And inviting us to open our hearts and invite him in. And to have that personal saving relationship with the one with the name above all names, Jesus. And so we know his name and he knows our name and that's the beginning of a great personal relationship, a great freeing relationship, a great saving relationship. If you don't know that relationship, maybe today's the day to start listening for Jesus calling your name and maybe it's the day to say, Jesus, call his name, say, here I am. I'm yours. I, I, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. I need you. Maybe today's the day to start talking to the one with that name, Jesus, and listening for him to call your name. So he called Mary's name, and she recognized him. And then she went to go share the good news. Mary went and told the disciples what she had seen, that she had seen the Lord, and what he had said to her. That evening, the evening of the first day of the week, that, that first Easter, the disciples, they got, they got back together. They had the doors locked in the room. They were afraid. As I said, they were afraid for their very lives. And um, we're not told exactly where they were, but it is believed that they were in the same room, perhaps, that they had shared the Last Supper with Jesus in. So just imagine the panic, imagine the fear, imagine the confusion of what they were experiencing. Mm. As Gary said, the door was locked. Not trying to lock out Jesus. They weren't expecting Jesus. That's the last person they were expecting. But they were expecting the authorities who might want to do to them what they had done to Christ. But what they got was Jesus. You know, you, you can't lock him out. <coughs> you can't lock him out. Not with a door lock, not with a heart lock, not with a soul lock. You can't lock him out. And so he comes in. It doesn't say how. It doesn't say if he went through the door of the wall, through the keyhole, under, over, around. It just says he came in and stood among them. That must have been pretty wild, huh? Sitting there with the boys, chit-chatting. Oh, hello, Jesus. And he says, peace be with you. I mean, these guys are scared to death. Scared to death. Peace be with you. That, sh that word shalom, doesn't that word just sound peaceful? Shalom. Shalom. It's that, it's that, not just, it's that peace, that peace that goes past all understanding. It's that peace that, that you can have only when you have a relationship with God, that through that relationship, it's not about fun, it's not about happiness, it's about peace. It's the place in your soul where you know no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. The outside occurrences aren't what's determining your peace of spirit. It's your relationship with God that's determining this peace be with you. And now, peace be with you, boys, in the upper room, because I'm here. I'm here. Jesus is with them. Peace be with you. And he showed him his hands, and he showed him his side, where he'd been, a spear had been jammed in when he was on the cross. And 
And they were overjoyed to see the Lord. Again, Jesus said, so this is really important for Jesus, for us to experience peace. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And here's a really good part. And with that, he breathed on them and said, what did he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Mm -hmm. Now, this is getting pretty wild now. Check out the power that Jesus just put in their hands. Holy Spirit power, the greatest power in the universe. Holy Spirit power in their hands. Can you picture that? Can you imagine that? Can you even begin to imagine having that kind of power filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, sending them into the world, his hands and his feet, his voice, his forgiving spirit, sending the world to do his work. Can you imagine having that kind of power? I hope so. Because here 2,000 years later, we still have that kind of power at our disposal if we're open to it. Holy Spirit, power still is offered to you and to me. Be open to that Holy Spirit power as you share the love of Jesus Christ in the world, that Holy Spirit power that allows you to do anything, that Holy Spirit power that says, with God all things are possible. That's the kind of power we're talking about here. It's like on Communion Sunday, we have the liturgy where we have a prayer of confession, you know, where we cough up all our junk. We do that for a few minutes, and then Carrie says, In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Yeah, that's the power we're talking about. That's not really I'm Carrie's not doing not the forgiving. Forgiven. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. But with that Holy Spirit power, Jesus through, comes through to you to let you know that your sins are forgiven through that Holy Spirit. That's, whew, that's just, it's just mind-boggling when you think about that the Lord of the universe is putting in our hands that kind of power. It's, it's certainly not something to be taken lightly, is it? But it's certainly something to go, whoa, Lord, please help me to be a faithful servant as, as I open myself up to this. Wow. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he, Thomas, said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. <laughs> you got to love this guy. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that, that um, make sure I'm at the right place, uh, that Thomas was the only one that wasn't there? Now, maybe, maybe his daughter had a dance recital. Maybe his son had a little league game. You know, it doesn't tell us, does it? It doesn't tell us why he wasn't there. I'll tell you one thing, though. He's kind of a pessimist. No offense, Tom. He's a little pessimist. Because earlier, prior to Jesus' triumphal entry in Jerusalem, remember we were talking back on Palm Sunday a few weeks ago, week before Easter, about the triumphal entry in Jerusalem. Just prior to that, Word came to Jesus that his friend Lazarus was dying. Remember, Martha and Mary came and said, can you come? And, and Jesus purposely took his sweet time. And, and, and Lazarus died in the interim. And, 
It was a great opportunity to see God's power at work through Jesus Christ. But anyway, Jesus did choose to return to Bethany, which was a very dangerous move because Bethany was just two, two miles away from Jerusalem. And just previous to this, Jesus was in Jerusalem. They had stoned in hand ready to stone him to death because of his talk about being the Son of God. And so when this call comes from his friends saying, can you please come and help our brother, and he chooses to go, he's putting himself at great risk. I mean, that's when he ends up going through Bethany and then in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and then the rest of the events of that week until ultimately hanging on the cross. So that was a very, very dangerous, but he knew that. But it was also a little dangerous for the disciples because they were going with him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't know. One hand, maybe a little pessimistic. Maybe he's just a realist, you know? Yeah, he knew what was going on back there in, in, in Jerusalem. He knew they wanted to stone Jesus. And he knew that if they stoned Jesus, they might very well want to stone his followers as well. But the thing you got to like about Tom is he might be a little pessimistic, but at least he's faithful. He didn't run and hide and say, I'm afraid I'm not going to go. What he said was, let's go also. Let's also go that we may die. I'm, I'm going to. And he's encouraging the other guys to go with him. Come on, boys. Let's go. Not sure what's going to happen, but let's go. Got to love that kind of faith. Got to love it. So let's talk about Thomas needing some proof. First of all, that's where the expression, expression doubting Thomas comes from. When the others told Thomas that they had seen the Lord, the risen Christ, Thomas didn't immediately jump on board. He doubted. He would have to see the nail holes. He would have to see or touch the, um, Jesus' side, put his finger you know, where the nails were, his hand in Jesus' side. He wanted proof, kind of like a court of law. So for Thomas, hearsay was it admissible? Hard evidence is what Thomas expected. Mm. I think Thomas over the years kind of gotten a bad rap a little bit. He doubted, but here's the thing, haven't you? I have. I can't give you exact time, day, hour, subject, or whatever, but I've, come on, I mean, think about this whole thing. Okay, you got this virgin birth. That, that's big enough to chew on for a lifetime right there, Right? And then, you, and then you've got him in the temple, uh, you know, dazzling all the guys who know everything. And then you got him doing things like walking on water, uh, casting out demons, healing people. Calming the storm. Uh, calming the storm. Uh, raising people from the dead like Lazarus. On and on and on. You've got him uh, beaten, crucified, dead, buried, and then three days later he's entombed. And then, 40 days after, well, and then, then he's uh, visiting people through locked doors. And then 40 days after that, he is, I mean, bodily ascends oh, he, into he heaven. Ate, he ate fish. I mean, right, it was well, real. Yeah, well, after he, after yeah. he uh, resurrected. And then he bodily ascends into heaven. I mean, come on. 
You can't just lock, stock, and barrel take that all in without having a couple, a question or two, someplace along the line. Can I get an amen from one person maybe? Come on. That's a, quite a story. If you, and, you know, if you put in logic, you go, wow, that's okay, okay. And I'm not saying I don't believe it at all. I'm saying I believe it, just sometimes it's like, wow. And so I was thinking about what I doubt, I'm sure I doubt over the years, and I think, okay, for, for today's message, what, is it, what has been my greatest doubt over the years? What, if I had to say what would be my greatest doubt, because I don't really, I'm not a huge doubter, I don't think, but I'm sure, and, and I finally came to this, that even though I know it's true, my, my greatest challenge, uh, doubt, challenge would be how is it possible that Jesus could love me enough to be willing to die on a cross, brutally die on a cross for me? With all my shortcomings, all my junk, <laughs> all my sin, all my flaws, how is it that he would be willing to be brutally um, massacred, hung on a cross to suffocate, publicly ridiculed, uh, bodily just decimated. How is it possible that he values me enough, loves me enough in order to do that? That, that would probably be my greatest challenge to think, wow. And I know it's true, but it's still hard, it's hard to believe. I don't know, does that ever happen to you maybe when you really think about it? Is is, is it, wow, I, and again, I, I, I know that he did it. Uh, for me, I know he did it for you. And, and if we were the only one on the earth, he would have done it for us. I, uh, and it's because he loves us. I know he loves me. I know he loves you. <laughs> I'll go back to Sunday school. <laughs> I know Jesus loves me. And I know, you know why I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. You know, that's a cute little kiddie song, but it's packed with a truth that just spans eternity. Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I know that's a fact. Do you? Do you? A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. <laughs> you know, Jesus never condemns Thomas for his need for proof, does he? He never says, Thomas, you're a knucklehead. He never says that. 
In fact, he readily offers the proof. He meets Thomas exactly at his point of need, just like he meets you and me exactly at our point of need to try to connect with us. If, come here, Thomas. Come on, push. Touch it. Touch it. Put your hand in. Come on, Tom. Tommy, come on. It never says Thomas does it, does he? I've looked at this scripture, I don't know how many times, I keep looking for where it says, Thomas touched the nail place. Thomas put his hand in his side, it doesn't say it. You can look to your blue in the face, it doesn't say it. Because I don't think he had to do it. As soon as he saw it, as soon as right there in front of me, he goes, oh, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. That says it all, doesn't it? That says it all. So Jesus did not condemn Thomas. In fact, as Alan said, he goes out of his way to help Thomas, to give him some proof. I mean, these guys really had to go out in the world and carry on. I think sometimes, actually I think often, Jesus does that with us too. You know, we might, we, we might feel that we need some proof we need some validation and then we feel guilty for needing that and then we're like okay I'm sorry but I kind of need it and you go back and forth and back and forth and but God gives us proof in so many different ways it could be just getting us through the night and the new day and the sun coming up the next morning or or a hug from somebody or or a phone call or how about when when you're just trying to get into God's presence and you feel like this peace that's unexplainable. Or when, when I know when I'm in, in prayer, sometimes my heart's like boom, 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 boom. And, and it's like, yeah, the spirit of the Lord is thick. And, and you just know that you know that you know. And God meets you right where you need it. It's different for you than it is for me because God knows what we need to help carry us through. He doesn't condemn us. It's okay to ask God, God, help me with this. It's okay. But he also does say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, God is so awesome. Uh, he can take a shortcoming in ours and turn it into a blessing. I'll tell you what I mean. I, this, this week, I was getting ready to, to write this message on Friday, and I realized it had been like two and a half weeks since I'd done the devotional. I'm going, gosh, yeah, maybe it's about time. Hello, before we start this message. So I opened my devotional book. It's called An Extravagant Mercy by Craig Barnes. I love this book. I've been through it three and a half times. It's great. And so I turned to the very next one that I should have done two and a half weeks before, but I didn't, and I put it off till Friday. And the devotional was based on John chapter 20, the story of doubting Thomas. I call that a God incidence, would you? Not a coincidence, a God incidence, where God says, all right, Alan, you are one sorry devotional guy, but I'm going to make it to your benefit today. Watch this. Boom. Wow. And so this guy, Craig Barnes, a great writer, I think, he, he shares this in this, um, in this uh, little devotional on Thomas, on doubting Thomas. He says, to follow up on what Carrie just shared, why is there blessing for those who believe without having seen 
Well, because their doubts are not taken away. The, the only place for their faith to grow is in the midst of their doubts. In other words, doubt in the bad, that's, that's how our faith grows, through our doubts. Well, that's pretty wild. And then he says something interesting. He says the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. He says most of the time doubt is the mother of faith. So the opposite of doubt or of faith is fear. And we, we're talking about this. What's that really mean? What's that mean? The opposite of faith is fear. And I, and I got to thinking, it came to me this morning, the 23rd Psalm. You know that Psalm David wrote? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, in, in the hills around Israel, those were dangerous places to walk because uh, uh, guys would hang out up there and wait and, and descend and, and steal and kill people on those walk. The shadow, I mean, literally the shadow of death, the shadow of the sun that's created from those mountains. Yea, though I walk through the valley, that's where they were, of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I have the faith in God that even if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I am not going to be fear. In other words, fear's over here, and my faith is here. I'm, they're not going to intertwine. In, in, in the stories leading up to Jesus' birth, I think it's like four different angelic uh, announcements. I, the, I know the angel always puts their hand out like that. They got to. That's in my brain. Boom. Fear not. Right? Fear not. And why do we fear not? Because Jesus is here. See, if Jesus is here, we shouldn't have fear. Yeah. Fear, the opposite of faith, it's not doubt, it's fear. And he finishes by saying the Bible doesn't tell us not to doubt. It tells us the news is worthy of doubt, that it's just too good to be true. Fear not, you have been forgiven. So the question today, three words, what about you? <laughs> How do you relate to what we're saying? How do you connect to the scripture? How do you connect to this whole thing about doubt and faith and fear? First, first of all, we want to tell you, if you have some doubt, cut yourself a break. Everybody does on some level. There's always a little bit of a question. But use that to lean in deeper. Use that. Say, okay, God, I'm having this this, I'm a little shaky here. I'm having a little doubt here. Help me with that. Read your Bible. Go to your small group. Do all kinds. I mean, it's not really about doing. It's about being. But God can use our doubt and convert that to help us get stronger and stronger in our relationship with us or with him. So the next question is, what do you fear? Give that to God. Give that to God. Do you know how much faith you need to have? You know how big a mustard seed is? I mean, it's like you can hardly see it. Just a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit. God can take that and grow it strong and grow you strong and full of faith. 
We've been talking um, since February in our series called Broken, Restored. When we walk it out with Christ, when we accept Christ and receive the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a restoration that takes place. We uh, are in community with God, the Father, Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, and we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is such good news, and that's a gift that we each have. And that's restored. We're, we are uh, in right relationship with God. And when we're in right relationship with God, we're in right relationship with one another. So we're grateful that you've been on this six, seven-week journey with us through broken and restored. And we pray that some of this connects and that you can not just walk out and forget, but take it with you. Take Jesus Christ with you out into a hurting and desperate world that needs to know that darkness is no more because Jesus Christ is on the throne. Amen? Amen. That's the good news. Let's live it and let's believe it. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for this book of John as we've been looking at chapter 20, the resurrection, the, the appearances of Jesus, and, and thank you for Thomas and what we can learn from him. I, I really think a little bit of Thomas is in each one of us. God, help us be gentle with ourselves when we are in that shaky place, and, and instead of turning from you, help us turn toward you and lean in and grow and be strengthened. Thank you for coming in, piercing the darkness, dying, raising again. Thank you that death was arrested so that we can have life with you now and forever. I pray this in the name of the Father, the risen Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody in agreement said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church. Connecting